this place is just amazing, isn't it? I, well, I think it is. Um, and uh, I just, I mean, God's so faithful. We are very, very jealous. Can I, can I lovingly say don't ever take it for granted? Um, because we live in a time when persecution's coming. It's coming. You won't be able to meet like this forever. I prophesy that. So enjoy it now. We're in Canterbury. We spent a fifth of a million pounds on planning to have our equivalent of this, to have it at the last minute shut in our face. And it took us years to recover as a church. So I come here and I want to lovingly say to you, enjoy it. Drink it in. Let it be used morning, noon and night for the glory of God. And don't be complacent because God's given you a gift. Amen? A gift for your blessing, but also for those who don't know Jesus. And if you're here and maybe this is your first time to this church, maybe you're not a Christian and you're kind of looking in, I want to say on behalf of Craig and the team, you are our VIPs. You are so, so especially welcome. And it's my joy today to kind of try and tuck in uh, with the series that you've just begun, which when I asked Craig a minute ago, he said, what's it called? He said, it's called From Life to Death. And I was like, no, I, th- I, think, I think it's the other way around. From Death to Life... <laughs> His experience of being a Christian. From life, just, just joking. Um, but if you've got a Bible, can you grab it? And we're going to get into God's Word today. And turn to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Um, and uh, when we think about this whole sort of subject, which this series is really looking at, which is, I guess, the subject of change. You don't get much of a bigger change, do you, from death to life? And this whole thing of, can a person really change? And if you're anything like me, when I think about that, I kind of have a bit of a mixed, a mixed, a bit of a mixed emotion. Part of me loves change when it's kind of out there. You know, your football team, change, and suddenly they do really well. Or suddenly your political persuasion changes and they start to do well. Or, I don't know, your spouse changes. Or your kids change. When, when change is over there, we love it, right? It's a great thing. Suddenly, you get a new ring road or something, and it's great. But change, when it's in here, when it's, it's kind of about you, and maybe this is just my experience, suddenly my relationship to change is a bit different. Suddenly, the idea of change becomes a little bit more complex, shall we say. It's something that I'm a little bit more wary about. And if I'm honest, I've been a Christian 20 years, and... There's no doubt that I've changed a lot. You can ask my wife, who's known me for most of those. But sometimes we can, if we haven't seen all the change in our life that we would want, perhaps there's still things in your life that you think, oh, you know, I really wish I'd seen more change in that. We can sometimes, when we think about a subject like this, get almost a tiny bit jaded or cynical. And I think we do live in quite a cynical country. One of the things that moving to America has done is both made me love this country more, but also made me see some of the things that are the culture here, which are different. And one of them is a very persuasive kind of, well, not persuasive, a very pervasive cynicism. We don't really change. Politicians don't really change. You won't really change. And that can, even as Christians, kind of seep into us, can't it? Without even realising it. Isn't that true? We sing these truths... And we're like singing these truths which are massive, and then we're kind of like, yeah. Mm. And sometimes our body language and our lack of emotion can express the fact that really, yeah, we think the new, the new heavens and the new earth are going to be all right, but, you know, 
I think Jesus loves me with a compelling love without limit and, you know, the God of the universe is crazy about me, but, you know, really... And our kind of... Our actions betray us. Our cynicism can creep in. So, with my best efforts today, and more importantly with God efforts, I want to declare loud and clear that I truly believe you can change. Prod the person next to you and say, brother, sister... You can change. You have my permission to do that. In a very British way. Yes, you can change. <laughs> and I want us to get, I guess, faith that we can change by looking at a guy who I've never met because he lived 2,000 years ago, but I feel like I kind of know. And his name is, his name is Saul. And, you know, there's no end of things in our life that uh, God wants to change. But the thing we're going to look at today, in his life, this bloke, this guy, normal guy in many ways, um, that God radically changed. The most obvious thing in the story that we're going to look at today is God changed him with regards anger. Anger. Now, I'm sure that's not a problem for anyone here today. I'm sure none of you can identify even slightly with anger, the issue of anger. But look with me here, look at this first verse. Acts chapter 9 Verse 1. We're going to pick up the story, and this is what it says. This is what the writer Luke, this is how he summarizes our main man today, Saul. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's Christians, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's the opening phrase today. So, this is a man who was very angry, okay? He was still breathing threats and murder. Dad has had a really bad day at the office, okay? He's coming in. Oh, no, he's got that look in his eye. But, but this guy, I mean, I don't know if that's ever been said about you. I mean, it's a big thing to say, isn't it? First thing, just to get into your mind's eye today, this guy, at this point... He was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples. And what's so amazing about this guy, Saul, which I want us to know right at the beginning, is that so much of the rest of the New Testament is written by the same guy. Isn't that amazing? So the rest of the New Testament, if you don't know that much about it, you could summarize as love, joy, peace. Huge amounts of the New Testament are love your enemies. Rejoice always. Love is available. Written by angry man. (laughs) Do you see the irony? And I want you to come this morning. I think God wants to fill your heart with faith. Almost the comic element. It's funny. You know, if if the rest of the New Testament was written by some kind of hippie man who was just naturally really peaceful and loving and unlike Tom Shaw, then you go, well, God bless you, mate. You're just naturally like that. But this New Testament was written by a seriously angry man. That In this description, it says he's breathing threats and murder. And he's, he, wasn't just, he wasn't just angry. Here we go. It wasn't just that he was angry and needed to change and he needed help changing. Here we go. He was also someone who didn't even know he needed to change. He's one of those guys. Again, I'm sure none of you are in this room here today. He's not just someone who goes, I'm a nightmare to live with, 
And God, you've got to help me. He was actually one stage back. Well, the honest reality is at this point, he thought he was 100% doing the right thing. He would have had no awareness that he was 100% out of the will of God at this moment. He wasn't just angry and desperately needing change. He did not know he needed change. And I want to lovingly say, if some of you here today, you're hearing this thing, oh, anger, okay, oh, this whole series on change. I'll be helpful for those people in my small group. I hope my wife's listening. (laughs) She really needs to hear this. Oh, we should bring the kids in, because my son, he definitely needs to hear this. Don't miss this. It's for you. It's for you and for me. So what's the deal here today? What's the situation? Well, the situation is this. The context. He's in a place called Jerusalem. You've probably heard of it. It's the centre at this point of, of Israel. And as we look at today, there's been an awful lot of anger bursting out at the local church. You know, Community Church Ramsgate has not been welcomed with loving arms, shall we say. There's huge persecution that we're going to look at. And this guy's involved with it. But now, his anger is so immense and out of control, he's asking for permission from this high priest guy to go to Damascus so that he can then chase the Christians who are now gone to Damascus. Here's the interesting fact. Damascus was 140 miles away. Think about that for a moment. 140 miles. He's from Jerusalem. He doesn't say, I want to go to the outskirts of Jerusalem to chase them. He, he wants to walk to London and back in the burning Middle Eastern heat. He is that full of anger. Isn't that amazing? So I guess what I'm trying to do is stir your minds this morning, your imagination, so that this man, Saul, you can kind of feel the intensity of his anger. He was seriously angry. And at this point, he's asking for permission on behalf of Israel to pursue these Christians. So the million-dollar question we've got to get into our minds at the beginning of this is why? Why was he so angry? Why was it that this guy, Saul, was so seething with murderous threats? I think it was because he was having a sense and losing a sense of the power and the control that he had grown up with. In life, I know in my life, when I get angry, so often when I trace it back, it's to do with a loss or a feeling like I'm losing power or control or both. Let me explain. This guy at the moment, Saul, he's probably mid-30s, approaching midlife. He's from a super privileged background, okay? He was a Pharisee, which might not mean a lot, but basically meant he was born into privilege. Super privileged guy. He was actually a a real sort of leader of Israel. He was one of the guys who was used to people, when they saw Saul, they kind of did this. And he had special clothes that he wore because he was a Pharisee, and he spent much of his life actually in the high court making decisions. He was used to power. He was used to influence. And therefore, the image that we have here is this guy, and he's a serious young man, or middle-aged young man-ish kind of thing, and he's on his way. He's a a seriously, he's like a professional. 
He would have been on, you know, The Apprentice. He would have been one of these intense young mans with a great mission to snub out these Christians. And I think the key to understanding why he's so angry is because these Christians, this is what was happening. He was part of Israel, right? He's one of the leaders of Israel, which for a long time, he had been influencing and shaping this nation. As Jesus came and started a new deal, a new kind of expression of God, this is what was happening. The church was starting to grow like crazy. Thousands and thousands of men and women in Jerusalem were starting to say, well, we used to do that, but now we see that God has come. God himself, Yahweh, Jesus, he's here. And so what was happening is the church in its thousands was starting to grow and grow and grow and do this. And so the leaders who were used to power and influence were one by one by one, they were seeing their people go somewhere else. Do you see? And their power and the influence that they were used to having was draining away with every passing day. If you said the word church, to them, it wasn't like, great, finally the Messiah's come. Yes, we, for them, it was synonymous with a loss of power. Do you understand? And actually, that's why the more I look at Saul, the more I identify with him. Because actually I know in my life, when I see things I'm used to being or feeling powerful in, feeling the best at, I'm very, very competitive by nature. I hate it. I love control as well. When I feel either one of those, control or power, is starting to drain away in my little world, I can see my anger starting to flare. I can see I start to take it out on the kids, even though it's nothing to do with the kids. So this guy is seriously angry. He wants to walk for seven to eight days in the burning heat. Now, I've had on occasions the odd tiff with my wife about various things and even occasionally left the vicinity. But I can say within 10 or 20 steps, my anger has generally subsided and I felt a complete prat. And I thought, what am I doing? And every time I've turned around and gone back, for this guy, he's going to walk for a week and a half. The level of anger... It's fascinating. It's really fascinating. This young guy is so angry, so serious, so intense. But if you turn back, actually, a page, the, the sort of story has been building up to this point. It's not like suddenly we hear about Saul. If you look with me, here in verse 58 of chapter 7, we hear about Saul. This is the very first mention of this guy, Saul. It says this, And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. This is them talking about Stephen who was one of the leaders of this church. He was one of the beautiful, humble, wonderful, godly men of this rising church. And this guy, Stephen, all he'd been trying to do was explain to the rulers of Israel, this is who we are. (laughs) We come in peace. We come in peace. We want to help the poor. Is that okay? We want to serve the poor and the needy. We want to make sure that the widows aren't neglected. We want to get people connected with God. Is that okay? And actually... What we've just seen is that Saul and his friends, who were the leaders of Israel, when they heard Stephen trying to explain this Jewish, sorry, this Christian faith to the Jewish leaders, they go crazy with anger. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's the first time we hear about him. This guy, Stephen, is dragged out of the Jewish courts, by these Jewish leaders, these respectable men, 
He's dragged out in a totally illegal procedure. He's dragged out of the, out of the courts, and they stone him to death. Now, I'm told what they used to do is if they, there was a legal execution, and this was totally illegal, the Romans had not authorised this, what they would do is there was a big thing called the Rock of Execution, which was 10 foot high. And in an act of mercy, before they stoned someone, they would take this person up, strip him naked, and they would throw him off this very high place deliberately so that he would break his neck or at least be totally unconscious so that when the stoning began he was already half dead because stoning was so barbaric but what happened with Stephen was it was so out of control and so wild they threw him off and historical sources say he stood up he was totally alert he was totally awake when they started to smash his brains out I mean, it's sick, isn't it? It's a, it's a horrendous... I mean, I, I, I ha- violence... I just hate violence with a passion, even on TV or, you know, pretend stuff. But this really happened. And this young guy... Hey, listen, as you do it, as you smash his brains out, give me a coat. We don't want that getting dirty, do we? I'll look after the coats. And then I can just watch. I can just watch this young man who all he ever did was look after the poor. He deserves to be smashed and killed because his movement are taking away power. This is Saul. It says in chapter 8, verse 1, a few verses later, he says, and Saul approved of his execution. I hate that phrase. It's like, what does that mean? He approved of it. It's like Saul at this moment, he almost, can I say this? It's almost like he delights in it. You know rubbernecking on the motorway? When you're, you know that phrase? Often why the motorway slows up is because people want to look when there's a horrible crash. And he's not doing it. He's not just getting his hands dirty, but he's watching. I think at this point, this guy Saul, he's kind of a bit... There's a bit of a sickness to him. There's a kind of, oh my goodness. But what's fascinating is it then says, and there arose on that day, this is 8 verse 1, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So it's, what happens is one man gets brutally, barbarically killed, and rather than it being, okay, we've done enough, we've sent a message to their leaders, can you imagine the shock? This man's killed. Then what happens is, they go for everyone. Thousands and thousands of men and women and kids are systematically persecuted. Look with me, it says here. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Here we go. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and he committed them to prison. This is the guy. I have a word for someone like this. A sick, abusive person. I have never dragged a grown man into prison or to his death. I've never dragged a woman. But this man, this great hero of the New Testament, at this moment, do you, do you feel this it actually happened? He knocked on doors, kicked them down, and when women were screaming, have mercy on me, he would grab, shut up, come with me, and you will go the way of Stephen. This guy at this point, the Bible's very candid very candid and the reason I'm, I'm wanting to labour this is because do you know what one of the biggest lies around in this world is that Christianity is for neat moral nice people 
if that's, if that's what you think, brother, sister, friend, I want to... With- I know this is a, is a bit of a hard-hitting beginning, but what I'm trying to say is there is hope for absolutely everyone. This guy is like Jihadi John. You know? Or ISIS, the guy who loves to execute. This is what's happening to him. For him, the loss of power and control, the loss of Israel's power and control, he is, it is causing this... It's like an addict who's been used to power and control going cold turkey. As he loses power and control, this is a man wild. He is out of control. He is desperately trying to control this and to recover what he feels is being lost. This guy is not a pleasant man, all right? He's a scary guy. He's really scary. He's leading the charge, men and women. And yet I have to say this. Although I've never done that, there is a part of me, as I said earlier, that when, when I see in my life, you know, if I feel like I'm losing, if I feel shame in my life, if I feel something I felt powerful in, suddenly I start to feel like I'm losing. I'm not the number one. I'm not in the limelight. The guy at work gets promoted past me. Whatever it might be, any way that you feel like Normally I feel powerful in this place. Perhaps you're a mum and your kids are normally great and suddenly they're starting to not be great and you can't control it. And so your anger starts to rise. Now you, you might not be doing what he's doing, but you see, in all of us, when the areas that we're used to feeling strong in are threatened, when we feel like we have less and less control, a very, very natural thing to happen is, or natural in the flesh, is anger. I spoke to a friend recently, a man, who I used to so respect, an older man. And he's got more and more and more angry the older he's got. And I just said to him, I said, friend, I used to so respect you. And the common thing in your life is that you feel like less and less control in your life. You have, you know, and so what's happening is you'll become the angriest man I know. And sadly, he wouldn't really receive that. He was stiff-necked. He was, he was not resistant. Sorry, he was, he was resistant to what I was saying. So at this point, Saul is someone that, that I can identify with a bit. I wonder if any of you here are honest enough to say, in a slightly less dramatic way, or maybe not. Maybe some of you can say, Tom, do you know what? In my darker moments, I've done stuff which isn't that dissimilar. Friend, I want to say this. Is, is Jesus is the one that changes everything. He really is. You see, Jesus doesn't look down and go, what? Right. Let's read on, shall we? Because there's a beautiful, wonderful, happy ending after this sobering beginning. Look with me here. Let's go back to where we were, chapter 9. You now know the context. He's now saying, yeah, I've basically destroyed the church in this whole city. Thousands have fleed because of me. Now I want to chase them 140 miles. And look what happens. Verse 3 of chapter 9. Now, as he went on his way, clippity-clop, clippity-clop, Mr. High and Mighty, Mr. Powerful, here we go, as he went in his Jaguar, up, no, as he went on his donkey, he approached Damascus. I love this, a little fact for you. Damascus is, uh, next to Damascus is, is this massive mountain called Mount Hermon, nine and a half thousand foot high, third the height of Everest. 
It's an amazing thing. So you've got Damascus and you've got Mount Hermon. And here he comes. And at this point, he's feeling strong. He's feeling like, yeah, I've done some, some, some things that have demonstrated I'm still the boss. And it's like this mountain. I can't help but think it almost hints at what he's about to encounter. He does not know who he's about to encounter. His life is about to change, my friends. And he becomes this guy who wrote the rest of the Testament, who was always overflowing with love and joy and peace. And I tell you, the thing that changed his life, the thing that is about to come into his life, is not that he gets married, although wives are a good thing. It's not that he gets a new car, although cars are great. It's not that he gets a great house or a great job or a great reputation. He meets one person. One person. And it changes everything for the rest of his life. Hallelujah. Okay, well, I'm excited. This man I identify with is currently doomed to hell. He's doomed. He is, he is enslaved to his own sin. And he doesn't even know it. Man, that scares me because that kind of reminds me of someone. And suddenly, amazingly, he has his plans and God comes. Here we go. I love this. This is you know, every Hollywood movie. It's a, it's a faint echo of the real hero of the Bible. Do you know that? I wish my kids were in. I'm always saying, look, this is really about him. And this is one of those glorious moments where this arrogant, abusive, bullying man who thinks he is the boss, remind you of anyone? Suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul! Saul! Why? Are you persecuting me? I love what Saul says. He says, Who are you, Lord? <laughs> you can almost hear the high-pitched squeak. Ah, oh, I suddenly don't feel quite as powerful. He's suddenly delaying tactic. I think you know, Saul. Join the dots, brother. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I love those seven words. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Often the name of Jesus is either a swear word or just Jesus, Jesus, meek and mild, right? Feel the power. I am Jesus. Imagine his brain trying to compute. What? I am Jesus. This man, he's blind. This powerful man, he's, he's blinded. He can't see a thing. In an instant, all of his pride and strength is drained from his body. I bet he was a bit pale. I don't know. And he can just hear the voice of God. Ah! The Bible says all of us are going to one day meet him. I remember saying to the church in Canterbury, saying, my job as your pastor is to prepare you to meet your maker. That's it. That's all I'm ever trying to do, is that one day, and I remember saying that, and there's a lot of young people in the church, lots of people in their 20s. I remember the next Friday, a girl aged 20 died. Her heart just stopped. She'd been married seven months. And her husband came home. And the last thing I ever said to her was that. She loved Christ. And her husband's done magnificently well. Never heard him grumble once. But we will meet Christ. You will. We will meet him. And Saul mercifully gets to meet him before his life ends. And you are meeting him today, friend. If you don't know Jesus, this is your equivalent. This is, you're hearing the word of God to you. He is alive and well. And he, do you know he really still does appear 
How many Muslims, gloriously, are having vivid dreams and visions where suddenly they see the raised Christ? This book is filled with encounters. Christianity is not about a mental ascent thing. Although it involves your mind, it's about encountering the living God. Come on, hallelujah. Ramsgate, are you there? This is great news. Because I need, I need strong medicine for my soul. I need strong medicine. I am a sinful man by nature. I am angry and I am petty and I'm narcissistic and self-obsessed. And I need a big God. And this town needs a big God. Margate needs a big God. You need a big God. Every day of your life, it's not enough. This isn't a, 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 a... I'm not just being enthusiastic. This is a kingdom culture thing. Even if we express it in our British way, that's fine. You need him in your heart, friends. The reason this man was changed, the reason you're going to get changed day by day is if Christ is massive in your life. Particularly men here, I would say. No, they're not just men. There's something here. Christianity is not just for women. There's twice as many women in churches in this nation. I praise God for women. Hallelujah. I love women. I've got four of them. I've got a female guinea pig, for goodness sake. Everyone's women in my house. But men, get hold of this. You have nothing to be ashamed of when you are in the pub or you're in, the, in your workplace or wherever you are. This is the Jesus you represent if you know him. He is scary in a brilliant way. He is like Aslan, if you've ever read the C.S. Lewis books. He's not safe. He isn't. He could have easily said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Full stop. Go to hell now. Seriously. He would have been holy, righteous. Right? Come on. If this guy's like Jihadi John, or like Assad, who potentially gasses children, someone who delights in evil... If he meets God, I tell you what I want is justice. Anyone here want justice? I want justice. And when I read this and I think about this first bit of the sentence and I feel like, yes, come on God. And this bullying, arrogant, entitled bloke suddenly meeting, not just his match, but like, and meet Goliath. I'm like, yes. And then what we see is, the second half of the verse, I can't believe. It says this, verse 6. This is the words of God. But rise and enter the city and you'll be told what to do. He does not say, I've been watching. I need a deep, deep apology, repentance, scream, beg for mercy. You just killed Stephen one of my sons. You killed him. You approved. Then you saw that thousands of other Christians would be brutally persecuted. I have a few words to say to you. I'm a dad, okay? I'm a dad with three kids. If I even hear of another child looking at my children in a bad way, something in me. Who? Which one? Which one, Josie? Any of you parents, do you understand what I'm saying? There's something in you that's like the image of God. And this is God now confronting the murderer of, his, of one of his sons. Think about that. He's confronting him. And there's part of me that's like, God, just take him out. Take him out, for Pete's sake. Do it. And he says, rise. Paraphrase, I've got a new life for you. And you're going to become part of 
my family. You're one day going to spend eternity with Stephen. The one that you brutally oversaw his murder. Hallelujah! Do you feel the grace of God? It makes me angry. And then it makes me want to worship my heart out. Because I tell you what, I get angry when it's the injustice, grace is towards someone else, but then I suddenly think, oh my gosh, it's me. I'm Saul. I'm Saul. If I hadn't received mercy like Saul, I love it. There's, no, there's not even one thing of here. There's no conditions. There's no like, you need to now pray a prayer. And, I mean, I've, I'm not against us. You understand that. But in this moment, God just is like, you're mine. You're repulsive and you're evil and you're more broken than you realize, but you're mine. It's the gospel, friends. God breaks into a wicked, sinful man who is abusive and he mercifully forgives him and he mercifully forgives you and he adopts you and he cherishes you and he is preparing a place for you in eternity. I love this. The next scene and the final scene, and this will finish, it just says that they led Saul and for three days he did not eat, he did not drink. Blind. He had to be led. He had to be led to a house in Damascus. Do you see? He came in riding, powerful, strong, deluded, arrogant. And bang, he meets Jesus. And suddenly, he's blind and broken. And yet now, God is in him. He might be blind physically, but he sees, hallelujah. He was really blind when he was destroying Jerusalem. He could see with his eyes, but his heart was blind. And now he can't physically see, but man, his heart. What would have been going on in his heart in those three days? What would have been, imagine it. The Bible's there to be, imagine. He said, I think he must have been thinking, what have I done? But Lord, how amazing are you? I don't know, and I want to ask him when I see him, what happened in those three days, mate? What were you doing with no water, no food, just sitting? I think, I think he was just worshipping. I think he was just worshipping. And then what we see is this man who was once arrogant and proud is now broken. He's, he's broken and yet he is now starting to live. You cannot, you cannot change with that brokenness. You cannot change, friends, unless you are broken. You have to be broken. If you still feel like you are basically sorted and together, and Christianity is this thing over here, just keep living. Just give it time, and he will do his work of breaking you. He will break you. This is a church full of broken people, and that's why I love it. So I love real church, because you never graduate. Paul, by the end of his life, he's like, I'm the chief of sinners. The older you get, the more you see your sin. You don't go, oh, I used to be so bad, and now I'm just pretty brilliant. Holiness is knowing your sinfulness. Holiness is knowing it and going, hallelujah for the gospel. Hallelujah, Jesus is the perfect one and I'm somehow joined with him and he's my hope. Hallelujah, this is the gospel. This is what this whole area needs to be, needs to hear more than anything else. Oh, it's such good news. He changes, not because of some abstract power. You're not going to change in this series just through some abstract power. 
although I love to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you, it's through knowing a person. It's through a person, the person of Jesus, being with you, watching you when no one else is watching you, when you're tempted to do something. He is the one that will convict you when you're unhelpful to your wife or you're quick with your kids or you are prone to grumble or whatever it might be. He is his influence, never left Saul. He never left him and he never leaves you. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never do it. I'm committed to you. Think of it. He went through all the pain of dying for Saul, rising for Saul, forgiving him over Stephen's death. He's that committed. How committed is anyone for your change? I, to my shame, I'm vaguely committed to my wife's change on my better days. You know, our doctors are vaguely committed to your change. Oh, you're feeling really depressed. Oh, here's some pills. Yeah? Thank you. Great. That's great. Thanks for listening. Appreciate that. You know, teachers, oh, they do their best. Jesus is so committed to your change. He hung on a cross naked so that, you, that the issues of your soul would be pinned on him and you could be given a new life. Isn't it amazing that Saul changed his own name to Paul? Why did he do that? Because he knew he was different. That is how much we change. We don't have to change our names, or you can if you want. When you become a Christian, it is a new creation. It is so different. And so this guy, for the rest of his life, he's just, he's not angry man anymore. Hallelujah. He's joy man. He's peace man. He's loving man. He's the guy who repeatedly writes to these churches that he somehow seems to get started. And one of the most common themes is forgive. Forgive. Forgive because, remember, it's the grace of God. Let love flood your soul afresh. Let peace flood your soul. Never, ever avenge. Rejoice always. I said again, rejoice. Where was he when he said that? Oh, I'm in prison facing probably death. But rejoice. I mean, this is amazing. How did he do it? Because he had someone with him who was very joyful. He had the ultimate companion in his life. He had the ultimate spouse. It was Jesus. Hallelujah. It's so glorious because it's not rocket science. It's something that my daughters can get. Hallelujah. Guys, I I hope you feel encouraged. I've talked about a murderer being changed and becoming a man who, who taught us how to love. And that means you and I, there is nothing that you can do that God can't forgive. There's no thing in your life that he cannot change. There is hope, 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 hope. So this is what I want to do as we come to land today. I want... Goodness. You are right. This is what we're going to do. If you today have thought, you know what, as you've been speaking, Tom, I want to change. Maybe anger. Or it may be something totally different. You may have thought, you know what, there's something in... I know I want to change. I want to encourage you just in a moment to come forward to the front. And my hope is basically everyone does, although I might be completely proved wrong, and that's fine, I don't care. Should we stand? Hey, Jesus is here, amen? If you don't know Jesus and you want to give your life to Jesus, you can do it right now. You can even make your coming forward a declaration that you want to meet this Jesus. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to throw yourselves on his mercy. Or you might just say, Tom, 
there's a small thing in my life I want to change. The basic point is this. Is God wants to change you. It says he wants to change us from one degree of glory to another. He wants us to be a people who are forever open to being changed. In fact, to be a disciple means I'm a changer. I'm a learner. So if right now you feel, yep, yeah, I've come this far, this is a safe place, and I, just, I, don't want to get, I don't want fear of man to control me, I want to come forward right now and just make a declaration that today I want to say to you, Jesus, that I want to change. I want to invite you now, just quickly, just to come straight forwards. Wonderful. Hallelujah. 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 He's so for you. He's so for you. He's so unshockable. Right now, why don't you just join me? You might want to hold out your hands as just a sign of your desire to actually receive power from him. Because Saul, Saul didn't try hard. (laughs) He didn't try hard, did he? It wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. So Lord, I want to pray for all of us, but I guess particularly for this six or seven who have just come forward and say, Lord, I want to change. I want to change. And I want to pray right now that in your presence, Lord, you will today, you will take their desire which you've put there and Lord you will absolutely fill them with the sense of your nearness and your power but the raised Jesus the raised Jesus who changed Saul and who became Paul right now just draw close in these, in these last five or ten minutes as we, as we come to worship the risen Christ the same risen Christ oh Lord thank you for your grace Thank you for your grace, Lord. Lord, I pray for any here today and perhaps they just feel, Lord, just that your grace feels a distant thing. Just now, in these moments, these final moments, let them taste and see that the Lord is so 